welcome to Speaking of College. Welcome, it's your source for reliable knowledge. Oh, yeah. We got Dr. P as your host. As your host. We gon' tell you what you need to know. Need to know. Need to know. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. Grow. Get more knowledge. Knowledge. Welcome to Speaking of College. Speaking of College. Yeah. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's episode is about college sports. As we continue to cheer for our favorite college teams, I wanted to bring you an episode that describes some of the details about sports that you may not hear as often. I had a great conversation with Dr. Monique Ashitelu, a scholar, researcher, coach, and athlete. During the break, I'll tell you about a cool way to make new friends and learn new things. And I'll close this episode with a question about how to calculate interest on your student loan payment. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's episode is about college sports. I get excited before every episode, but this one is extra special to me because I enjoy sports so much. It's also great that I get to discuss it with Dr. Monique Ashitelu. Monique has one of the most unique and valuable combinations of experiences and qualifications that I've ever seen. She uses her knowledge of data and college policy to work as an entrepreneur, advisor, speaker, author, strategist, and advocate for marginalized students. As a first-generation child of an immigrant parent from Nigeria, Dr. Ashitelu values college as a lever to propel students from the limitations of their childhood zip codes. Last year, Monique launched a consulting firm to help nonprofit organizations, colleges, and universities harness the benefits of data to curate meaningful strategies that promote student success and socioeconomic mobility. Monique also serves as a senior policy analyst for higher education with the Education Policy Program at New America, a bipartisan policy think tank located in Washington, D.C. Prior to joining New America, Monique held several research and practitioner roles, including positions with the Florida Legislature, College Autism Network, and Florida State University's Center for Academic Retention and Enhancement. Monique received the Dissertation of the Year Award from the American Association of Blacks in Higher Education for her research study that focused on the impact of distributing academic performance rate penalties on men's sports athletes' graduation rates and the potential differential impacts on men's sport athletes at historically black colleges and universities. That research has also led to her presenting at numerous conferences, publishing in academic journals, and recently being quoted in NPR's show, All Things Considered, as a content and data expert to discuss the NCAA's use of academic performance rate metrics. Monique is also an accomplished track and field athlete. While in college, she won a Southern Conference Championship title in the 800 meters. She also earned a bronze medal in the 1500 meters at the 2007 U.S. Junior Olympics and qualified in the 800 meters for Nigeria's national track and field team. In addition to her athletic achievements, Monique served as a graduate assistant coach for the women's and men's cross country and track and field teams at the University of Texas at El Paso. Monique holds a PhD in higher education with a specialization in public policy from Florida State University. She holds a master's in public administration with a focus in public policy and management from the University of Texas at El Paso and a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology from Furman University. Dr. Asha Taylu resides in the Washington, D.C. metro area, and during her free time, she enjoys traveling internationally pre-COVID, cooking gourmet meals, mentoring youth, and spending time with her family and her Havanese pup, Kofi. Needless to say, I could not have chosen a better guest to join me for this conversation about college sports. Monique, welcome to the show. 
Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited about this conversation. So let's start off with the same first question that I ask everybody. So in your bio, we heard that you went to Furman and I'm thinking that that's where you started your college journey. Is that right? It is. Okay. And so take us back to that time when you were first starting college and tell us a little bit about what influenced your decision to start there. Yeah. So it's funny. So three things really did influence. First is my mama. Okay. So I'm the youngest of six. And that was a huge influence of where she wanted to go. But I guess I'll start with my high school track and field coach. And so I think it was about spring of my senior year. So around March, and I still hadn't decided on a school yet. (laughs) And so my coach actually suggested Furman and he had a connect with the head coach there. And so basically I went for a visit. My mom went there, loved it. And was like, yeah, you're going to this school because you're graduating three months and you haven't decided. And then the last piece I would say is the financial aid piece. Um, I think for me, I really didn't understand how to navigate college decision. And so I had a lot of letters coming in from coaches all over asking me to run. But unfortunately, I had a very skewed vision of the world. So I thought, well, they don't look like me at that school. So I didn't see a lot of black and brown folks on the picture. So I said, I'm not going to that school. And I felt like the schools that did have people that look like me, like HBCUs, I didn't get the financial aid. So the financial aid part I was able to get allowed me to also make my decision to go to Furman. So I think a lot of what you just described is part of the reason why I'm doing the show. And I think that whenever someone's making a college related decision, there are a lot of factors, not just the academic quality, not just the major study you want to pursue, but your environment. You know, what's it going to be like when you get there, your family interaction, the cost and everything like that. So I'd like to ask that question to all of my highly accomplished guests to take it back to a place of the foundation to say that no matter where your career leads you, that very first decision has so much woven into it. So thank you for uh, showing us how you got started. So I'm going to start off uh, on this conversation about college sports with the softball. So no, no pun intended, but it's a softball question. So I know that most people considering the NCAA basketball tournament, men's and women's just wrapped up. Oftentimes we think college sports, you might think football, basketball, baseball, softball, track and field, you know, given your experience. Are there other sports that are on college campuses? And if so, what are some of those? For sure. And I think you have to. So I'm coming from an NCAA Division One perspective. That was a former Division One athlete. So you have your NCAA sports and then you also have your intramural sports, which kind of have a little bit more latitude in those type of sports. But like Division One, it's like you have soccer, tennis, golf. You also have men's wrestling. Cross country is also another one. But the funny thing about sports is it's also based on like region and the culture of your institution. For example, like water polo. And rifle will be more at like Ivy League schools. They have ice hockey, gymnastics, fencing, rowing, again, tend to be more at more Ivy League institutions. So the list goes on, lacrosse, field hockey, so and also bowling, believe it or not. They have women bowling included. So there's quite a few. If you've done the sport before, it exists. Volleyball is also in the mix. At Florida State, I remember them having beach volleyball as an intramural sport. So, I mean, if you can play it, I'm sure your campus or a campus nearby can can provide that right via, you know, NCAA sport or intramural sport. Okay, so there's so much there. And I want to follow up. First off, I remember uh, Florida State having the beach volleyball team Mm -hmm. and and getting the chance to go. And it was really cool to see. So, you know, for those of us who are listening and are not familiar with intramurals, what's the difference between intramural sports and non-intramural sports? What, What is it exactly? Yeah, so 
Intramural sports are the sports that are like club sports that are hosted by the institution and then they have clubs underneath of it. And so you basically, I don't even know if they're student run clubs. Now I think about it. I, I apologize. I can't, I can't remember that. But the difference is that you're not a student athlete. You don't get financial aid to participate. You do it because you love the sport and you love interacting and engaging with your other classmates, but through sports. Yeah, I would add to that. I played intramural basketball in college and enjoyed it a lot. And I think a lot of students maybe don't know that for many of the sports, there's not an additional fee. So you might have to spend your time, you know, for practice and things like that. But that's kind of oftentimes included in your admission. So, you know, you might pay an activity and service fee and some of those fees go to support club sports. And so hopefully that would entice someone to say, if you happen to have an interest in a particular sport that you would, you know, give it a try. And so, yeah, so I, I just, I love sports of all kinds. And so I, I really appreciate the references to other sports that maybe don't get as much attention. So there's a lot more we could say about that. So, all right. So speaking of that, if we think in topics and trends, there's a whole lot we could discuss right now. And you know, you're the expert here, having looked at college sports so closely for so much time with your research. If you had to maybe suggest a few leading topics and trends that are kind of top of mind for those who are interested in this topic right now, what would some of those be? Yeah, I think at the forefront is definitely the arguments around name, image, and likeness. And basically, that is really at the forefront, basically saying that in the most lay terms that student athletes should be paid, right? And that colleges and universities, they benefit from these college sports, especially football and basketball that literally bring in millions of dollars and on the NCAA level, billions of dollars. And athletes don't get to see any of that money. So basically, there's a lot of arguments about one on state level, there's um, state policies around it. For example, California is in the forefront of that. And then on a federal level, as far as the entire nation has actually made its way to federal legislation about what, what are they going to do around name, image, and likeness. So that's one. Um, and we just had March Madness a few months ago, well, last month. And of course, there were some issues about inequalities comparing the women's basketball championship to the men's basketball championship as far as their facilities that they had, which kind of opened a little bit more conversation about the inequalities of men and women's basketball. What does that look like? So that was a huge thing. And then I'll wrap it up with there is a current lawsuit that's underway now of um, how the NCAA's uh, academic metric, and basically they use this metric to evaluate student athletes' academic progress Mm -hmm. to make sure you're getting ready to graduate on time. And basically this lawsuit is about it being racially discriminatory. And so that's kind of where my research ties into that before the lawsuit came into play. But now that the lawsuit is there, it kind of brings that research back to the forefront. So I would say those are like the top three things that are kind of trending within collegiate sports. Mm-hmm. So after the break, we're going to, it's not time for the break yet, but after the break, I got some even better questions about some common myths that people make about college sports. And I know we have a lot in common, you know, if, if people were to hear the outtakes, they would have heard us talking at length about some of the intersections of our prior roles professionally, and even our college experiences, one of which is being college athletes. And I think it, it wasn't until I ran track in college that I realized that not all sports on a college campus have the same amount of funding. And so there's a lot that could be said there. That's probably another whole segment for another whole time about disparities that you would see, you know, just narratives about sports in general. So that's that's a whole separate segment. But this is for the people who just generally want to know the basics of, of college sports. But uh, I think everything that you just mentioned, I, I followed both of those stories pretty closely. And uh, there's so much we could say there. So 
Yeah. So I got a follow up question. So thinking about your bio and all the research you've done and the frequent use of data that you use, trying to combine that with your knowledge of sports. I think one thing that great researchers do is they tell compelling stories. So imagine for this audience, there's a certain data point that you might use to tell people maybe something that they should know more about college sports. Is there a particular data point or analytic stats, something like that, that you think more people should know when it comes to sports? So I always say this. So there is a stat that I always constantly heard as an NCAA athlete, and it was this one. And I'm going to answer your question, but it was this stat. There are more than 480,000 NCAA student athletes, and most of them will go pro in something other than sports. Mm -hmm. Now, that is a stat the NCAA lives by. And I think for me, as someone coming in in my freshman year, wanting to go in the Olympics, I really didn't like that stat, right? But what the... What I feel like is a stat that's really important that we don't hear enough about is the statistic on student athletes being able to successfully transition to life after college sports. I, you don't hear enough statistics about that. And I think, you know, for me, I was an athlete since I was six. So from six to 26, that's my entire life, pretty much. I'm like four or five years removed from that. So all of my life, my identity has been a student athlete. And so how do student athletes transition to life after college? And what does that look like if your sport is ended because of injury? versus, you know, you've reached your senior year, your fifth year. So I would love to see a little bit more statistics around that, like how student athletes are able to transition once they they finish playing and they wrap up their collegiate career in sports. Okay, that's awesome. I think if I could plus one to that and add something to it, I would love to see someone do some research on specific learning outcomes and skill sets that college athletes or those who play sports actually pick up. I I remember I had a really good conversation with some colleagues over dinner about the impact of playing in an orchestra or band in college. And they were saying there are benefits because you learn how to play your instrument, but not too loud to, to overshadow somebody else's, how to play with the right rhythm, how to play, you know, in concert together. But I think I can say the same thing about sports. And I think though my time in, in athletics is you know much farther behind me now, there are some skill sets. I think leadership, you know, time management, organization skills, teamwork, relationship building. I think those are a lot of the things that most college students probably pick up in their classroom experience and their out of classroom experience, but I don't think college sports gets enough attention for being a a place where you can pick those up as well. I I hope you would agree. Yeah, I definitely agree that sports definitely do prepare you with life skills. I think the only thing is if I can remember, put myself back to my senior year, getting ready to do life after, I couldn't necessarily articulate how sports really did help. And I think um, maybe some mentorship and support around that is really important to say, look, you've done this before. Like you have tenacity, you have perseverance, you know how to push through things, you know? And so you can do collaborative work, you know, you have been with teammates. So it's like finding how to make those skill set to transition, I think is super helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. So one more question before we go to the break. So I think you have one of the most impressive bios. I, I definitely read it at length and there's so much more we could we could say about kind of your, your professional journey and all the pieces of expertise that you have. So in addition to data knowledge and college sports knowledge, there's public policy or just policy in general. And so I imagine that in your daily work or your review of what's happening in higher education, there's got to be something, maybe a policy of sorts that might be related to one of those trends you mentioned earlier. But is there a particular policy related the college sports that you hope will change or improve in the future? The whole conversation around this idea of academic progress rate, and basically it's used to make sure student athletes are moving from year to year to graduate. 
Unfortunately, part of the policy is that they give penalties to teams that don't meet a benchmark. And unfortunately, these penalties remove student athletes from like the mainstream stage, like championships and things of that nature. And unfortunately, it has disadvantaged HBCU teams. And I think I really hope like right now because of COVID, it's kind of paused. And so I think for me, it's my hope that they'll take this opportunity to reevaluate that policy so it can be more inclusive and not penalizing, but be more rehabilitative to really make sure that students are meeting these academic benchmarks to be both student and athletes yeah. to make it to graduation. So I would say that's a policy that would need to, I hope to see change in the future. I would too. I think that in general, I mean, I understand that the NCAA is probably very concerned about students' academic progress. But to your point, I I often tell people that really well-crafted policy has to take into consideration the lived experience of those that the policy is supposed to be impacting. And so I think we need more research like yours to tell the other side of the story and hopefully make policies more applicable to what would really be the better outcomes that students so are trying to achieve. So we got a lot more to talk about, but first we're going to go to a break. When we come back, I'm going to do the ask the expert section with you and get your thoughts on some common myths and advice for college athletes. So we're going to go to the break and then we have to go with the ask the expert section. Did you know that many colleges have a club and activities fair? If you're looking for a way to make new friends and learn new things, the activities fair is designed to help you. Most colleges offer dozens of opportunities for students to meet and share their interests, such as media, chess, debate, and lots of other things. Research suggests that social interaction is an essential part of the college experience because it helps students feel more connected to each other and the college. So if you're ready to pick up a new interest and make new friends, contact the Office of Clubs and Activities and ask where you can attend the next fair. Now you know. Monique, are you ready for the Ask the Expert set of questions? I am. Give it to me. (laughs) All right. right. So the first one is, there are a lot of common myths about college sports in general. What's one of them and how would you address it? I think the common myth, what I would say for sure in general, is that you're getting a college degree for free. That is a common myth. And I'll just break it down to you that it's not for free, that we're actually working about 40 hours a week. So like, I'll just give you a quick example of what my day looked like in undergrad. So I worked three jobs while I was in undergrad. And just a side note, those who are, especially if you're looking at a private institution, when I started, I had a full scholarship and my tuition was Mm $39,000. By the time I graduated, tuition was $55,000. And my scholarship did not increase each year. So I had to make up with that. So I worked three jobs. Okay. So with that being said, I'd wake up in the morning at 6 a.m., go for a run. I would get showered really quickly, go to get some breakfast. Then I would go to my first job of the day, which would go to the library. I'd be there for a couple hours. Then I would go to class. Then I would go lift weights. I have to make sure I lift weights during the day because I have labs in the afternoon because I was a psychology major. So I would go lift weights. And then I didn't take a shower. I go to one of my classes. I have a peanut butter sandwich and I'm eating in class, Uh trying not to fall asleep. And then I go to the research lab because that was my second job to be a research assistant, do that for an hour or so, run some data. Then I would go to practice. Um, But before I went to practice, I had to go all the way across campus to get out of my sweaty clothes to put on fresh clothes, then go all the way on the other side of campus to go to the track, went to practice, finished practice, had to leave practice and go to my lab 
had to figure out how I could think and focus for two hours, but then I still had to go to treatment because I never went to treatment after practice was over. So after my lab is over, go all the way back on the other side of campus, get treatment. Now, after I do that, I pick up dinner to go, go back home, take a quick shower. I have to leave my my dorm because I can't study in my dorm because mm. I fall asleep. So then I go to the library and by this point it's 8.15, 8.30. And I'm now starting my homework. My goodness. I'm I'm tired just listening to this whole stretch of events. So college isn't free for an athlete. You no. definitely are. It's a full-time job. Like it's it's a full-time job. It's not a free degree. Oh my goodness. No, that's not a free experience by far. I think <laughs> if anything, I'm going to double down on my point earlier about the time management skills that you would pick up as a college athlete. So, wow. That <laughs> That more than addresses the common myth that uh, you get a free education. Is there another myth related to the experience of college athletes? Because I want to say on the one hand, you've addressed several myths in there that I would think. But is there another one? I definitely would say that we have this red carpet life. You kind of talked, alluded to a little bit earlier that every experience is different. And so it's this idea that if you're an athlete, you get praise and worship. Let's just be honest. If you're a non-revenue sport, meaning a sport that isn't bringing in revenue, you're probably not going to live this red carpet life. And um, those sports that do bring in revenue are men's football, which is the only football, and men's basketball. So by default, women athletes were kind of left out of that lifestyle. And then if you happen to be in men's basketball or football, you have to be like a star player. And even then, I think it's very different experience as far as this quote unquote red carpet life. So the whole idea that we have everything handed to them, we get per diems and all this stuff. You see us riding around campus on scooters. I don't know what's, <laughs> what's, what's popping now, but yeah, it's, it's not true. It's definitely not a red carpet life. We're definitely working very hard to balance both roles as student and athlete. Yeah. Monique, I think you address probably the number one and number two common myths about college sports and college athletes. That could probably do another whole segment on the additional ones, but I think you've covered a lot of ground with both of those. And I've heard those comments too from, from many who would probably critique it and say. So, all right. So with that in mind, I really appreciate your personal perspective. And I'm imagining that someone's listening to this episode and they might currently be a college athlete. So I cannot resist asking if there's a piece of advice that you'd offer them about balancing college and sports in successful ways. So taking that same day in the life example that you gave, if a, if a college athlete is listening, like that's my day, that's what I'm going through right now and I'm tired I'm trying to figure out how to make it all work in a more efficient way. What advice do you have for them about how to be more successful and not just their time management, but truly balancing that dual identity of being a student and being an athlete? Yeah, it's it's definitely tough. And if you recall, I mentioned nothing about a social life. I didn't mention calling my mama, <laughs> talking to my roommate or anything. Right. And so for me, when I was in college, I thought about life in three, three tiers, academics, athletics and social life. If you think of it like a triangle, right. You don't have all your points at the top. You'll have one point at the top and two at the bottom. So with that being said, it's going to be a lot of times where one is prioritized and you negate the two. So it'll be moments where you really have to buckle down and focus on academics. Those are opportunities when you're off season, right? So maybe do summer classes. I know it sucks to keep being in school year round, but do a class, right? Or do a Maymester or a winter semester, right? Take advantage of those little pockets to, to keep moving forward. Um, so you can focus on academics and focusing on academics when you're not in competition season. Competition season comes, 
athletics is probably going to be at the top of priority and do your best to manage academics with that as well. But hopefully you'll have some guidance to choose courses that aren't as intensive. So when I would be in competition, I took reading intensive classes, not math intensive classes, because math called, I had needed a tutor and different things like that. But I can read on the bus. I can read at a track meet. So when you're at a track meet for two days, you can do your homework. And so I was kind of strategic on what classes I took when I competed. And then the social point, get it where you can fit it. (laughs) I mean, like... If you can go to like a nice party every now and then do it because you need to live, but do it in moderation, realizing, you know, like you don't want to put your things can happen at parties and you never want to jeopardize yourself. But at the same time, you do need the exposure. So for me, my social life came from my my teammates, my assistant coaches, you know, weightlifting coaches and things like that. But I think something that's super important, the friendships that I have today from undergrad are not my classmates. They were actually non-athletes that I happened to meet in the DH or friends of friends. So really, you know, make sure you can, when it happens organically from classes, you make sure you socialize with students who are non-athletes. But again, give yourself grace and just figure out how to manage that triangle of what one is going to be prioritized, what two things are going to be prioritized, and just being able to forgive yourself if something has to lack. So... Yeah, I think it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. But honestly, I think that's the best advice. And I really appreciate the advice you said about branching out and making friendships and connections outside of your team, because the team is good, but you spend a lot of your time there. And I think that like you later on this evening, actually, I'm going to be connecting with some of my college roommates, none of whom played sports. And we have the best friendships. Some of my closest friendships from college were the ones who didn't play sports. And it was kind of cool because they were a nice outside place to land when I was having a difficult day with practice. And, you know, you come home and they know nothing about what you've been doing and it was a nice distraction it was really cool so excellent advice thank you for that all right so next to last question before we wrap up so as a follow-up to that what's a resource that you think more college athletes should consider using yeah I would definitely say um, relationship building with professors and I would say that for sure one because like we've been saying it prepares you for life after and so open if you a traditional college student, meaning you graduate high school and you go to college straight, or even two years later, you go into college. Most of the older people in your life are authority figures, right? And so, believe it or not, when you graduate and you go into workforce, your coworkers are going to be older than you. And so, learning how to navigate that relationship of being able to connect with people who are older than you beyond this authoritative, I tell you what to do, which we're so used to, especially if we've been athletes our whole life, like people in authority tell us what to do as far as coaching. But not only just the dynamics of learning how to navigate relationships, but they are critical in like just pointing you in the direction of opportunities, right? Whether it be graduate school, law school, medical school, or even job opportunities, internships. For example, one of my jobs, I was a research assistant, and that came from a relationship with a professor that was like, hey, I have another professor in the department that's looking for someone. You want to join their lab. So just you know, having those relationships, finding something in common, whether it's sports, whether you like their humor, whether you like the subject of the class they're teaching, you know, not all professors do you need to have a connection with, but the ones that you do organically have that connection to, yeah, try to cultivate that because these are like lifelong relationships that I still have with my undergrad and graduate school professors. 
Mm -hmm. So now I think I got a follow-up to the follow-up question. And the follow-up to the follow-up question is for someone who's listening and you've convinced them like, okay, I need to build a relationship. I need to make a connection to someone who could be able to open a door or maybe shepherd, you know, my progress. What's one easy tip of how they could do that? Do they just go to the professor and say, hey, you know, can I, can I work with you? Is it that simple? Or is there a particular strategy or tactic that you think would be especially helpful? Yeah, I think it's the personal connection. So, you know, for me, it was staying after class and going up to the professor and saying, hey, like, I, my thing was, I, I literally told him this, it might be nerdy, but I was like, look, I was reading my, my assignment and I didn't realize five hours went by. I think this is the major I want to do. And he was like, you were reading that long? I was like, yeah, I didn't realize. I was just really liking it. And so he was kind of captivated because I found interest in it. I did not have the foresight or know how that I should even form this relationship. It just kind of happened. And so that's why I'm able to give this advice because from there, just having that relationship that came from me saying this was a really cool subject cultivated in so many different ways. So I would say, you know, go to them personally, whatever that common thing is or whatever you're interested in beyond I need help with, you know, this, this, this assignment, or I'm going to be late with this paper, like not something like that, but just more on a, on a different topic to, to maybe do that and do it face to face, not email. Yeah. Monique, it's almost as though you heard season one, episode four. This was shameless plug for speaking of college professors. It was the exact same piece of advice to after class, make some, some conversation and uh, start the conversation there. It might build into a relationship. Mm -hmm. There it is. So, I have so much more we could talk about, but I think we got to wrap it up with my, my favorite question after the first one about where you got your start. And so imagine now everything that you learned as a policy expert, as an entrepreneur, you know, as a researcher, as a former athlete, as a former coach, you know, competing on the, the international level, thinking back to someone who had to start their college journey at one point, like you did, if you were to prepare a backpack for somebody who's going to start college sometime in the next six months, what's something based on everything that you know so far? What's something that you would put in that backpack and why? So the first thing that comes to mind is like food. And I'll be honest, food, because student athletes really do battle with food insecurity. That's a that's a real thing. And I was always hungry. But to get a little bit more deeper than that, the one thing would definitely be courage. Because that's like like we've been saying this reoccurring theme that athletics really prepares us for life. And like when you're going on a college campus and especially if you're like a, a like a recruited athlete you are a big fish in a little pond right so you have this idea that you're going to continue to be praised but you're going into a lot of unknowns and i think i want to tell people that those fear people always be like don't be afraid that's what they tell athletes you don't be afraid but fear is part of it and courage is just being able to move past the fear so the unknown of will i be able to juggle everything like me and i just heard her day i don't know if i can handle that well hopefully you won't have three jobs. Right. So like, you know, the fear of, will I make friends? Will, 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 will I be able to adapt to the coach? Like, will the training work for me and all these unknowns, but it takes courage for you to get out there and, and just get out there and do your best. And even when you go like on, you compete, I remember I was running against girls who had six packs and like muscles and I'm like 17 and I'm like, they gotta be 22. Like, you know, whip my tail. <laughs> um, but again, it's just having courage to go out there and, and do your best both on the field and in the classroom. So for sure, that's something I would definitely pack in my, in my backpack. 
thing, Monique. Every time I ask the question, I have the same answer. I want that backpack. I do. I think that <laughs> at the end of the day, I do want the backpack. It sums up everything so nicely. It's the reason why I'm doing this podcast and inviting guests to help me talk about it and break things down because I think there could be someone who doesn't know a lot about college and it could feel overwhelming, not necessarily scary, but truly overwhelming about what you don't know. And so to have that courage would set them off on the right foot. And so I have to say, thank you very much for joining me on the show. I think- oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I, th- I think anybody who's listening would definitely want to know more about your research and your work. So when you're not chopping it up with me on Speaking of College, where can people find you? Are you on social media, someplace like that? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. So my Twitter is my name, Monique Ashitelu, um, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E, O-S-I-T-E-L-U. And then I'm also on LinkedIn, which is also my name, Monique Ashitelu with the PhD at the end, so... All right. Well, I will put links to both of those in the show notes. And Monique, until we connect again, thank you for everything you're doing in higher education. Thank you for your advocacy on behalf of college student athletes. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you. I enjoyed it. It's time to ask Dr. P. Ask Dr. P. Ask Dr. P. Get the S's that you need. Today's question is from Anne in Washington, D.C. Anne writes, Dear Dr. P., I've heard that the interest on my student loan balance accrues daily. How do I know how much that is per day? And this is a really good question and I have several steps for you to follow. But first, I want to commend you for taking the step to figure out the daily amount. One important step for managing your student loan balance is to know exactly how much you're paying so you're on the right path. Next, because I don't know your exact balance or your interest rate, I'll have to use example numbers for both. But you can swap these numbers for your own. So for this example, let's say you have a student loan balance of $30,000 and an interest rate of 6%. The first step is for you to divide your interest rate by the number of days in the year. So you would divide 0.06 to represent 6% by 365 number of days in the year, which results in the number 0.00016. The next step is to take that number and multiply it by your loan balance. So that would be 0.00016 multiplied by $30,000, which is 4.8 or $4.80. That's how much interest your student loan accrues per day. Now that you know how much interest accrues daily, I'd like to suggest that you get an exact date on your calendar for when you'll pay off the entire balance. It's nice to know the exact amount you're paying, but it's even better to know the exact date when you'll make that last payment. I wish you the best in the process and thanks again for a great question. If you're listening to this show and you have a question about college, you can write me at amelia at speakingofcollege.com and I'd be glad to answer and maybe feature your question on a future episode. For now, that brings this episode to a close. As you watch college sports on television or read about it in the news, I hope this conversation reminds you of some of the untold parts of college athletes' experiences. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing to the show and I'll be back with you and Speaking of College again soon. In the meantime, I hope you have an inspiring day.